self-torture uh, right now. What you gotta do is moisturize your face and then put the mask on so it locks <laughs> it. And welcome Some baby oil to the Donna Front Podcast. How's it going, guys? Oh! <laughs> we are here. We are excited. We are with a huge and amazing group and we are super pumped to talk about it. One of the newest sort of thriller movies that's been out there that is taking over the box office. So I'm super pumped. I am Warren, and I will be your host this evening. And uh, I'm going to introduce you to some of my friends. And of course, we're going to start with the man of the hour. The person who just looks delicious today. (laughs) Andrew Abbott, how's it going, man? Good to see you again. I'm doing good. I'm doing good, my man. Uh, I am here uh, drinking some Harpoon Cranberry. I can't complain. I got my clown makeup on. I'm looking good, looking fly, looking for some kids to kill, you know. <laughs> typical Monday. It's a typical Monday. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. What uh, What you been watching? Uh, well, I just recently watched the new Pirates of the Caribbean movie, uh, which was okay. I do really enjoy those movies. They're a guilty pleasure of mine. Uh, obviously, the first one's still the best one. This one was... Eh, I mean, it filled my pirate craving, but it wasn't the best movie, and it was kind of crazy. A lot of good imagery, but not a fulfilling film. Um, but then I also recently watched a horror movie that I found on Hulu called Man Versus. That is basically what if Bear Grylls ran into a weird situation in the woods. So basically, there's this dude who does a man versus nature type show, mm-hmm. and some, some wacky shit goes down and it's all filmed in the first person like he's making the show. So, uh, my cup of tea, horror movie, uh, yeah, it was great. Cool. Uh, and so that was, uh, you saw both of those on Netflix? Or where did you see the Pirates movie? Uh, the Pirates movie, I don't know if I can reveal my source because it may not have been above board. Fair enough. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> Man Versus is on Hulu currently. Hulu, okay, cool. Well, as always, it's great to see you, and it's great to hear your voice, and I'm really excited to uh, chat about it with you, because I know for sure that you were pumped to talk about horror movies, so thanks for coming on. Thank you. Uh, To his left, we have the lovely Caroline. How's it going, Caroline? Good to see you again. I was confused, because I'm above him, not to his left. Not in my orientation. No. (laughs) I'm good. (laughs) Uh, What you sipping on, and what you been watching? I'm drinking Fat Tire, and um, I just finished the third season of Narcos. Oh, is that was, good? Yeah, it was really good. It wasn't as great as the first and second season. That's because Pablo Escobar wasn't in it. Spoiler alert. Because he, well, it's history. He, he dies. <laughs> um, so... <laughs> We had this conversation in another podcast when I just finished the second season. <laughs> I was like, I was one. so bummed when he died, and everyone was got really mad at me because I told them what happened in real life. Um, 
No, it's still really good. What's his name? Pedro Pascal. I think that's his name. The actor in it. He plays... Um, the guy in Game of Thrones. Oberyn, Oberyn Martell. Martell. Yeah. He's so sexy. Oh, my God. He is a handsome Mostly man. Mostly why I watched it. He is a handsome <laughs> man. Yeah. No. It was, it was good, though. I don't know if they're going to continue on with it. They could. Now they're, like... Now they're on to the Mexican cartel. Oh, spoiler. Shit. Sorry. Okay. Uh, moving on. <laughs> Who's next? Cool. Well, as always, thanks for coming back uh, for this episode. And you are super pumped. You saw this movie twice in the last few days? Yep. I saw it again today. It's definitely good. So that's definitely kind of a good sign, especially coming out from a movie that people kind of laughed at and didn't really like as much. I think a lot of people liked the 90s version, but I think this one definitely puts it back. And so you can actually kind of enjoy it a little bit more. So I appreciate you having me on. Uh, over, I have the man with the best voice by far. Brylon, how's it going, man? How is it going? It's going well. It's going well. What you sipping on? What you uh, been watching? I am still keeping it classy, sipping on my Gentleman Jack on the rocks. I will drink this till the day I die. It's awesome. Uh, what I've been watching, I haven't been watching much, but I did catch the first half of the opening game of the new NFL season. And, um, yeah, it was not good for the hometown team. I don't think that team did play it that day. That wasn't a thing. That was real. Zero, zero. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Yeah, on to Cleveland. No, you're going to, you're going to New Orleans. New Orleans. <laughs> on to New Orleans. Same thing, same thing. They're very close. Um, yeah, it was, it was disappointing uh, to see them not gelling as well as, as they usually do. And I only watched the first half because I was getting that feeling like, yeah, this is not going to turn out too pretty. And then I saw the score the next morning. I was like, yeah, it happened. I didn't like it. So three out of five blasts for the NFL opening game. Yeah, and that game, uh, they had a statistic that said that that game was longer than 88% of all MLB games this season. It was not a good sign. It was like close to almost four hours for that game. Well, so. they just on those special edition Thursday night games. Like they, uh, on it, I'm uh, I hate those games. I'm not. I'm a fan of the opening day. Like you get the Super Bowl champion on a day of their own, which obviously we completely messed it up. But whatever. <laughs> um, you just get an inferior product that on a day that no one really wants to watch football, and it goes on for way too long. Yeah. Like. A game ending at twelve thirty one in the morning, like on a night that most people have school or work the next day, is not a very sustainable business model. Especially when you get Sunday, that they basically monopolized for an entire well for half a year, where you're watching their product for twelve hours. Thursday is just an unnecessary component to it. Yeah, I mean, it's art, and so I, I'll be interested to see exactly what happens because there, I think that was the one of the only games that was good within the last two years that happened on the Thursday. So, I'll say one other thing about this weekend. It was cool to see all the rookies actually kind of light it up. Yeah, that's true. I think almost every rookie, even now, the ones that are playing are are now starting, and even a lot of the quarterbacks has already taken jobs from other people. So, kudos to the rookies. Kudos to the rookie. I got my best friend, the sexiest mocha ever, Uh, the sexy Mike. I have mocha Mike. How's it going, man? Hey everybody, how's it going today? Going well, going well, going well. What Good you uh, what you uh, sipping on and uh, what you uh, been watching? 
<laughs> so as for what I'm sipping on, I'm finishing off the remnants, remnants of that Apothic Crush Uh-oh. from our previous episode. Um, there's not enough in there for me to black out, so I think I'll make it to the end of this video. <laughs> there were moments last time. <laughs> I am working like, on that. <laughs> I just, the, the look on your face was just like, you just regretted life. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, thank God this Price. is an audio podcast. Aside from the fact that I'm generally not that good to look at, <laughs> the wine made it worse for sure. What's um, special about the Apothic Crush? Well, the, what's special about the Apothic Crush is its velvety smooth mouthfeel. Oh, um, yes. Okay. That is the that special thing about it. Um, that you can drink about 14 bottles of. <laughs> yeah, it goes down pretty, pretty quick, pretty smooth, pretty velvety. But that is what I'm drinking, and for what I'm watching, I recently caught up on Attack of Titan Season 2. Um, this is a really popular anime um, that I had put off watching when it was being released weekly, uh, just because I like to binge things. So now that it's all said and done, I devoured all of it, and it was really fun. It's a really, really well-animated anime, a lot of fluid, intense action scenes. Um, but this season, the plot starts shifting from sort of like a general horror theme to an actual, to more of a mystery, as more elements start getting revealed and more questions start popping up as a result. If you're a fan of anime, definitely check it out. If you're not a fan of anime, maybe not the first thing you should wet your wet your your blade on. No, but um, that's no. pretty good overall. Definitely not the first thing that you should wet your blade on. Wise are getting to him. <laughs> Uh, Mocha, thanks so much for uh, coming on. I'm super pumped. I'm super excited to A, not only see you this week, but nerd out on Attack on Titan. So thank you for hanging out with us again. No problem. It was wet with a WH. Oh, okay. Even though oh. I still used it. <laughs> Even though I still used it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is, that like, is that like fat with a PH? <laughs> 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 I wish I wanted to say like wet your teeth. I'm like, that's definitely not a thing. Wet your whistle. Wet your whistle, right? Wet your whistle. Wet your whistle. Wet your whistle. Wet your teeth. <laughs> 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 I'm just going to wet my teeth real quick. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, Anywho. I have one of my best friends ever. We grew up together. We're practically the same person. Uh, the Shredder blew it. How's it going, man? What you, uh, what you been sipping on and what you been watching? <laughs> so, hey, guys. Uh, <laughs> Thanks for having me again. I know it's been a, like a week or two. Um, so like Brown, I've been watching uh, the NFL, except for that Thursday night game, because that didn't happen. Um, I think that we're going to do a uh, Drunken Mike special on this one, but I watched Death Note. Ugh. And for someone who doesn't watch anime, this is about as far as I want to go right now, because uh, teaser, we're going to probably do a sloppy video or a sloppy podcast on this one. It was interesting. Please stay tuned for when we're a little bit more inebriated. Um, the last thing that I would like to uh, say is I, I got a little bit into, I had a little bit of uh, downtime about a week and a half ago, and so I was like, oh, I'll treat myself. And so I played a little bit of The Witcher 3 instead of watching any television. And uh, just to sneak a little bit into Brylan's you know, realm here. And it's pretty solid. Um, it's fun, and I hate these games because they're too long and they take too, like forever to actually get anywhere. But it's wicked fun to play. So yeah. you know, I I'll never be on Twitch because I'm not I'm not the mouth of the South. But it was a pretty interesting experience. Well, as always, lovely to have you back. Uh, thanks so much, Blue, for hanging out with us. Uh, and I am Warren. I'm your host this evening. Uh, I also watched uh, Death Note. 
and I'll put my comments to the side. I'm really excited to talk about how terrible that was. Um, but I also been, and uh, I think you heard me before, I'm now binging and kind of going through more of these Amazon um, stuff. And I am now up to, I think, like maybe episode three or four of uh, Night Manager. And this show is phenomenal. I really, I think people already had seen it, but I just don't know if, if enough people have seen it. But it just the acting in the show alone and just like how they just set things up and you, like the first episode is completely, it ties in very well and it's just very well acted and I think you just don't see that enough you don't see that often you see it happening here and there there's maybe one character in this huge sort of plot but it's a very small sort of cast and uh, uh, it's definitely like very enjoyable so that's the night manager on Amazon Prime uh, and I am sipping on a new blend today surprise surprise uh, this one's called Pandemonium and this has Merlot, Zinfandel, Petit Verdot, Cabernet Sauvignon, Petit Syrah, and Malbec. As a, uh, That's a bl- lot of things yeah. in one bottle. <laughs> yeah. Um, How do you put all those wines in one wine bottle? Well, I, 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 when I start wetting my teeth, uh, that's what, <laughs> that's how I end up doing that. So I'm super pumped what? about that. Wet my teeth. <laughs> Uh, yeah, this this wine is pretty complex. This is very different uh, taste. It's a very dark taste, and it kind of sort of transforms after. Um, I wouldn't recommend this as an introduce an introductory wine. Like like I said, this wine was under eight dollars, and I've been trying to find it. Uh, but if people if like you're more, twenty one, don't try this wine. No, 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 oh, no, no, no. Uh, yeah. does, does it have any grapefruit in it? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, this actually does not have, sadly, any great great oh, Yeah, I know. I'm kind of bummed. But, yeah, so that's what I've been uh, watching and drinking. And I'm super pumped. Uh, I'm really excited to really uh, get a lot of people's input on this movie of It. And uh, what we're going to typically do is that we're going to go go straight into this entire review. Before before we get there, uh, before we talk about all the spoilers, I'm interested just, just to know about the 1990s version and about, about the book and about Stephen King and I would love to hear some of your thoughts on what was your feelings going into this movie what expectations did you have did you even have any expectations or what was your thought of just like it the actual sort of universe before this movie uh, Abbott oh uh, yeah I I had um, a real uh, interesting exposure to the original It in that um, it sort of helped to trigger my severe, severe, uh, not quite phobia, but fear of clowns as a child. Mm. Um, right before I saw it or walked into the living room and caught my parents watching it and saw some some terrifying clown shit go down as a child, um, I had They weren't first... even watching a movie at that time. <laughs> Just... Oh, they were, they were, yeah. <laughs> we actually went to the circus for the first time, and let me tell you what messed up shit went down at the circus. I saw a clown get into a cannon, like a, like a child clown, like a tiny little baby child clown crawled into a cannon, and they were going to shoot him across the circus, but then the cannon malfunctioned and blew up, and out of the cannon came an old man clown. And me seeing that as a child messed me up. I was like, they stole that child's entire childhood. He's an old man now. And all those things clicked to me as like a little, little baby kid child person. And I was terrified. And then I saw it and that just solidified like clowns are bad. Clowns are evil. Clowns are the worst. That's not how that's so supposed to work. I had this thing and going into this movie, I didn't know what to expect. I was worried it was going to trigger some sort of weird pent up potential phobia that would re-trigger. And then I just leave in like a... a, a 
a fetal position have to get carted out, but uh, I didn't. Um, I enjoyed the movie very much, so. Brylin. Um, growing up, I mean, Stephen King's It was kind of, I read it like kind of at the same age that these kids in the new movie are at. And all my friends were into it. It's like, this was like the huge, like big horror thing we were into. That and like that Scary Stories book as well that had all the creepy black and white and red drawings in it. Oh, yeah, that and creeped me out. I freaking love that. My mom used to scare the hell out of me with that book on Halloween. In they fact, she's probably going to read it me again and I'm probably going to run screaming. <laughs> yeah, I mean, those were things we loved and we loved to just scare ourselves with it. And we were super excited when the TV series came out. And uh, we liked it. It was kind of got really goofy. It gets silly at parts just because I think in the 80s, TV movies were this weird, like, lesser than a B movie type of thing that no one really gave a shit about. And you wouldn't really get at that out of a TV movie these days. And so, like, even at the end where they're, like, raising the spider heart all in unison and stuff was just kind of goofy as hell. So we're like, oh, we love the book, but this is kind of meh. But, yeah, I mean, it's something that very much, like, helped define my taste and, like, what I like in horror as well. Cool. Caroline? Um, I kind of grew up just looking at the book cover of it for a little while at... um, my grandparents' house, my grandfather loved Stephen King and, like, read every Stephen King book. And uh, I I think he was, I don't know, he was, like, going through the, the catalog of King books and, like, talked about it. And I, at that time, I don't know how old I was, but I was definitely like, yeah, people should be afraid of clowns. Clowns suck. Uh, so I was always like really curious about it. And then I, I knew there was like a movie, but I was still, I don't know, I was pretty young. Then when I was like 11 or 12, got my own TV in my room and what just happens to be on TV, but the miniseries. So, uh, watched that. And ever since I've just been like super curious. I, I love Stephen King. I thought the idea of the movie was creepy. Yeah, there were like definitely cheesy parts, but it still definitely terrified me as a kid. So um, I, I watched it again uh, a couple days ago. I watched it again. <laughs> and um, yeah, it's like a little cheesy. Especially that spider at the end. But um, it it was just, like, it's very nostalgic for me. Um, So I I went into this movie excited, not not having many expectations, like, hoping that they'd stay, like, true to anything. Um, But they did. Like, down to the dialogue, I think, that um, some of the scenes were, like, really true to the, the miniseries. And... I just really liked it. Yep. It was entertaining. It was good. Welcome. What you got for me? Yeah. Um, Stephen King is somebody who I unfortunately didn't really get a lot of exposure to outside of the TV movies until I was, you know, already older, <laughs> even past undergrad. 
I grew up on the TV movies, you know, whether it was, you know, it or the Langoliers or any number of his books that were translated. Uh, there was kind of like the heyday of Stephen King um, book adaptations was during the 90s. Um, but the story it itself, I watched it when I was really too young to remember it. I'm sure it scared me at the time, but I don't have too many memories of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I tried reading the book when I got older because I could never get out of my head the episode of Friends where Monica tells everyone that every time she reads the book it, she gets too scared and has to put in the free and has to like put it away to keep it safe. <laughs> um, and then Jerry puts uh, Jerry uh, what's his name? Um, yeah. Chandler. No, not Chandler, the uh, the doofy Joey. one. Joey. Joey, yeah. Joey tries to read it because he doesn't believe that a book could be scary, and then he tries to hide it in his freezer so that the monsters don't get him. <laughs> um, and that stuck with me, so I decided to read it. And it really surprised me at how legitimately creepy it was. Um, another thing about Stephen King, too, is I avoided his stuff. I assumed that because he was so prolific, he was just churning out crap. Turns out he churns out amazing, um, amazing literature. Yeah. Uh, but I started reading it, really loved the story, and then one drunken night, not unlike tonight, I left it at a bus station on the Green Line in Boston and took the next bus back to go and get it, and it wasn't there anymore. So I was about halfway through the book, and that book is huge. So I got mad and decided to never read it again because I didn't want to <laughs> start it. Did it float, so, yeah, did it float I, down I, to the sewers? What was that? Did it float down to the sewers? Who knows? That book is definitely floating somewhere, and I hope whoever stole that book is floating too. I hope you... <laughs> down a flight of stairs and now you're floating all over the fucking place came back on going rage <laughs> yeah um but yeah so that's my experience with with uh Stephen King's It cool uh Blue It what you got yeah so uh I pretty much have no experience I had a buddy who was like a huge Stephen King fan uh, I don't think the kids read more than like 30 books in his entire life but 29 of them were Stephen King novels um <laughs> And so I hung out with him a bunch and like he loved it, but I never could commit into um, reading through any of them. I didn't have television as a kid, so I didn't watch the miniseries. Mm-hmm. Um, that's about it. I came in basically knowing this movie was about clowns and I found out it was about clowns like four years ago. Really? What the yeah. hell? Oh, yeah. No, I had like, literally no idea. It was... I went in Warren Jackson style, just no spoilers <laughs> for something that's already been made before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all I'd say is like, yeah, doesn't really doesn't really count. I like knew knew a lot. Um, yeah, cool. Like, I think one of the big things, and this is more along the lines of kind of Abbott. Like, this movie scared the shit out of me when I was younger. Um, it really messed me up with his clowns and just anything in general. <laughs> Uh, and my mom was kind of upset. I was I should be upset at her, but she was upset that she was like, yeah, yeah, I'm old enough to watch this movie. Definitely was not old enough to watch this movie. Um, and so I thought it was really, really good. And I think, uh, you know, Tim Curry also had like this crazy, weird, sort of quirky sort of performance that would just very, just creep everybody out. Um, and so kind of going into this, I was super excited just to see this again. I was really pumped to see exactly what they would do differently, what things they would change do the same. Some people, somebody said that it was going to be a completely different sort of retelling of it. So, um, just looking at all the stuff that you actually kind of hear about, like I know how the movie is going to, I know at least what the movie's about. So I'm super pumped to see exactly how they're going to execute it. So that was like the biggest thing that I'm going in for this movie, um, to enjoy it. So I'm pumped. I hope everybody's pumped. And what we're going to do is that we're going to give you a brief pause, a uh, brief intermission before we get into our full spoiler ready review of it. Everybody ready? 
Yay! Yes! Woo! Okay, let's do it. Great comeback. Great, great, great comeback. <laughs> and we are back and we are super excited to talk about it. Uh, one of the newest movies from director Andy Muschietti. Uh, one of the retellings, really popular story of uh, Stephen King. And so we're super pumped. We're super excited. Uh, we're talking about it. We gave you a bit of intermission and now we're going to toss it and go straight into our wins, talk about our criticisms and other things that may not didn't work for us before we end with our grades. So I'm going to toss it over to one of my best friends in the world. We grew up together. He has the best voice in the South. Brylon, how's it going? And what you think about what's some wins that you got Good. for it? Yeah, with this version of it, um, there's a lot of things that I really liked about it. So I think first and foremost, it faithfully captures the spirit of what the novel is all about, which is facing your childhood fears and what you have to do to kind of face them head on and wishing that when you're in a bad situation, especially as a kid, that you wanted just something with a face to beat the shit out of it. Clowns um, <laughs> <laughs> are weak in the face. It's true. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think it actually makes some improvements over the novel. It's actually really good to kind of like um, streamline this story and take out some of the more magic and mysticism that comes up in the novel. And I'm glad that they focus on more the realistic aspects of it and focus on that psychological uh, fear and how it's kind of just manifesting uh, for these kids. Um, I like that it does. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, I agree with you. And one thing I'd like to go a little bit deeper on is that I think that it really showcased that everyone has different fears that can get them to the same level. And how people respond to those fears is different person to person. Um, Obviously, like your kid brother getting abducted and, uh, you know, your dad raping you is like, that's pretty brutal. But like everyone else... Like that kid being controlled by his mom is a hypochondriac. Obviously, you know, from an, like an outside perspective, not as bad as the first two, but it still can put him in the similar mental state that he can have that objectifiable clown that he still needs to overcome. Yeah, or Richie Spear is like clowns. I mean, he just hates clowns and just, <laughs> they scare him. And it's a very, to a lot of people's superficial fear, but it freaks them out in that same type of emotional level, uh, which I thought was really smart about it. Um, I also like how they moved the book to the 80s, uh, to the late 80s, kind of a time that I grew up, so I could really connect uh, with the authenticity they brought to the environment, but also the dialogue that the kids used. I remember growing up and just saying your mom jokes to all my friends and just talking about we're going to kick each other in the balls, and I'm glad that they didn't... um, kind of like clean up that language they just brought it uh full on uh in this movie and i also like that they uh 
they uh, took time to uh, allow you to kind of learn the backstories of what are gonna what's gonna be the motivating factor for the losers club, and because each person has their own uh, unique take, uh, but what's gonna bring them together as well. Uh, as for the uh, characters, I think the big standouts for the actors, uh, Mike from Stranger Things, uh, Finn. Uh, Wolfhard, it was really great to see him as Richie, also known as Trashmouth, uh, because every word that came out of his mouth was fucking amazing. When he has that moment with Bill in the sewer, uh, and they're facing Pennywise, and he goes like, I hate you, Bill. You brought me down to the sewer. You uh, got me um, into this stupid mess. Now i got to beat the fuck out of a clown. <laughs> I think my uh, whole theater clapped when that moment happened. <laughs> Um, and he, it was really cool to see him. You're like, first see him, you're like, oh no, he's going to play a kid in a horror movie again. Uh, but he was able to be a totally different kid this time, which I think says a lot about his acting skill. Not, not to be, I thought that I didn't, he did a great job in this movie. Like absolutely stupendous. Um, I think that they should have casted someone else though. Because Stranger Things came out last year. He pretty much got hired for this role after Stranger Things. And then we have another Stranger Things coming out. And, you know, Stranger Things as a show is 50% Stephen King, 50% uh, Steven Spielberg. And that's not even typecasting at this point. It's like literally he just plays a potty mouth-ish version of the same character. Um, and he plays it amazing, like not to take away from the, the child actor's performance because they, they knocked it out of the park. It's just it's a little bit of uh, a brand mixing when I think that if you're going to have a movie that so closely relates to a TV show that so closely relates to older movies, you got to separate the actors at least. I'll say this. I don't know if it's necessarily typecasting as of yet since it's only the second thing he's done. That's within the sort of like sci-fi kids getting chased around their bikes uh, mentality. Um, <laughs> but what I will say is that um, really good child actors are very hard to come by. And I don't see any reason why someone who does a good job should therefore not be allowed to be in another thing because they did a good job. Um, if you didn't pick Mike, then you get someone like Ty Simpkins or Haley Joel Osment, and then you're stuck with a oh, shitty God. movie. Have you said so I'm glad they cast again. Probably they wanted to cast him because they wanted someone that could actually anchor this cast and actually yeah. bring together, like, hey, this is how we got to actually get this uh, job done. And I think that would be that was a very smart move on their end. To um, be fair, also, you have a kid that you can trust to pull in people. Like, that they hired a kid that they know could put butts in seats, which is remarkable to say for, like, a, what, a 10-year-old? Um, I also loved uh, uh, the character, that the actor that plays Ben. Ben is my chunky brother from another mother. I mean, <laughs> both hopeless romantics, both bookworms, both... Uh, uh, wanting, I think his character was, I mean, just like any other the kid characters, very authentic, very well played, um, especially like when him and Bill and Bev had their love triangle. It feels like this is something kind of real that kids this age would have gone through. Um, I also like uh, Bill Skarsgård as uh, Pennywise. Um, he actually brings a lot to this character that... Uh, when I look back at it, I still see like kind of layers of like 
the creepiness and the menace that he actually brought to it. Like, especially like that first scene when he's talking to Georgie in the uh, sewer drain. Um, you see, I mean, first of all, but like a clown in a sewer drain is like a creepy image to itself. Yes. But uh, having the gold eyes and just that stare he has uh, when he stares at him just widens his eyes a bit uh, is... I mean, definitely rubs chills down your spine. And the way he talks, it was like a little mix between Heath Ledger's Joker and Herbert from Family Guy. So there's something kind of amusing about it, but very unsettling at the same time, uh, which I thought was really good. And he has a great physical presence for this type of role as well. Um, I thought like one of the scenes, like, um, I didn't think there were many like things that freaked me out on a personal level, but that projector seat yes. scene when Pennywise came out, his giant Pennywise, scared the shit out of me. Fuck out of me. Yeah. Just because you see him coming and there's nothing you can do about it. And I think that's like one it's of the slow big, burn. Yeah. And I think this is one of the best things that this movie does about its horror elements is you see what's coming. It's there. It's right in front of you, but there's no escape. And that goes actually double for all the kids' actual fears in real life, whether it's Bev's dad or if it's uh, Mike's, is it Mike's uh, hypochondriac mom? They're there. They're existing. You know they're there, but where's the escape? It doesn't exist for them yet. And so it's where you have no choice but to confront it and go head on into it. And I would say I was feeling a little frustrated watching this movie all the way through because it's like, you know what, this is only about a two-hour movie. They're going to wrap up the whole story of it in just this one movie. That's going to be kind of a bummer because the adult uh, saga is just as important as the child saga. And then I see that final title card, and it says it, chapter one. That made me super excited for what comes next. Um, I like that title card at the ending. That's kind of like what we get from Marvel of, you know, such and such will return. Uh, I think it's a pretty cool, but a different way of uh, kind of telling that. So, yeah, I'm pretty pumped. Yeah, and what they what they did right was make $117 million this weekend. Yeah, they did. So <laughs> it's coming. Chapter 2 is coming. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it's already been confirmed. It got greenlit already. <laughs> it, it, it got greenlit? Yeah. It got greenlit? It too got greenlit. They got just, it got it, greenlit kind of like that happened. What either earlier today or yesterday? It, it happened like well. weirdly late. Uh, Abbott, give me your wins about why you enjoyed it. Yeah. Uh, so um, something that I noticed right off the bat that I love, like I said earlier, I hate kids in movies. Um, was that uh, the kids weren't safe right off the bat? You know, Georgie meets it and boom. He gets his arm not off, and I was like, I'm in a crowd full of people who are scared, but I want to cheer. This is great. There's already <laughs> blood on the floor. There's blood on the ground. Everything's great. This kid's already kind of dead. That's awesome. But that's just me. Um, and I love the fact that it was already kind of like a, a darker color palette than the 90s version, because the 90s version, from what I remember and what I saw, even though it had a darker tone, it still had that like 90s TV, like brighter kind of colored tone to it. Um and then also, uh, I'm a huge fan of practical effects. Even though there was some CG kind of littered in there, the practical effects were really well done. Um, and even the CG, I enjoyed, um, and it didn't seem overwhelming. I also thought that the movie would be great in 3D, which I don't normally say because I think 3D is a gimmick, but I thought this movie would be extra terrifying with a pair of 3D goggles on your face. Oh, yeah. Um, also, I love the fact that they 
stress the fact that all adults in the movies were absolute terrifying, creepy, irresponsible, awful people because it has this um, children's book dynamic where it's like once the once the parents are gone or dead or they just don't care, that's when the kids have fun. But the equivalent of fun in this movie is just sheer terror. And it's a challenge that they kind of have to overcome together. So, like, they're not going to get help from the people who should be helping them. They kind of have to help themselves, and that works really well. Um, and then, like I said before, the kids' acting was way leaps and bounds better in this version than it was in the 1990s. Um, also, uh, I did love the fact that um, changing it to the 80s, they were able to fit in the nod to New Kids on the Block. Yeah, kind of, uh, <laughs> punctuating all the horror with these funny little jabs at it. Uh, that was amazing. Uh, speaking as a person who's actually seen New Kids on the Block live, um, I was a little bit sensitive. I kind of felt the sting, but uh, it was very funny and enjoyable. Um, and then also, uh, I think this might be a bold statement, but I think as far as remakes go, I think this one kind of sets the bar. Um, a lot of people are saying it was shot for shot, and I think... You know, in a time and age where we get so many remakes and redos and reboots and it's getting kind of boring, this really handles it well in the fact that you should only be remaking something if you feel like it's going to benefit from, you know, the modern, um, the advances that we have now, the technology, like the, the better cast, like everything that was used and put together in this film came together wonderfully. And I think that as far as remakes go, this is what people should aim for. For sure. To expand on that, I, I think that you're right where it sets the bar for... Well, no, it explains the bar for uh, what a remake should be. Where I think... So take Ben-Hur for an example. Oh. Uh, Ben-Hur was made in like the 40s or 30s for the first time. And then they got Charlton Heston involved and he was you know, this great actor. They threw a ton of money in it. They threw a ton of practical effects in it. They made it this huge spectacle and it's widely regarded as like one of the better movies of all time. And then you come in with, you know, not as big equivalent of a budget with mostly CGI effects starring absolutely no one in the 2016 release or 17 release and no one went and seen it. So I think that you have to... There's only so many different ways that you can tell the hero's cycle journey. And so you're going to get a lot. Like, I've somewhat forgiven Hollywood for having limited tales because, again, there's there's only so many ways that you can tell it and you can tell, like, the antithesis of that story. But at the same time, if you're going to say plot for plot, like, a redo of it, you better bring something worthwhile to the table, whether it's stupid good effects or, in this case, I don't think that it was necessarily a, a huge effects, but the cast was remarkably remarkably better. It wasn't a TV-quality cast. This was an actual movie-grade cast with people that, with pedagogies supporting bigger projects. Um, and so you, you, you're you right. You have to judge every remake on this. You have to say, well, what... What is the new thing that they're bringing to this story? Because I know how it ends. You know, I know I know how the story is going to go. What is the new thing that they bring? And uh, you know, in this case, I think you're absolutely right. It's the cast. The cast was absolutely spectacular. Um, and to see like someone with you know true true range approach this source material was something we said. I mean, again, not to defend the money grummers in uh, in Hollywood, but you know. 
people were, are putting on plays that are 400 years old that, you know, they, they run at the Charles Playhouse every single weekend. And, but you go and see a different actor's take or a different director's take or a different producer's take to see, well, what is, what does Shakespeare look like in, on the moon? Or what does it look like when Josh Gad, uh, plays, you know, uh, the hunter's best friends. You know, you go for that. Ex- whatever, it doesn't matter. Uh, <laughs> Come on, that ex- that's the reason you see a remake, not just. And you have to tell me. You have to tell me. You give me that in the previews on why what's going to make this different. Well, yeah, to sort of expand upon what you're saying, you know, when filmmakers put themselves into a corner, like think about movies like Lincoln or Titanic, where you walk into it, you're like, well, shit, I know how this is going to end. And it has to be interesting in between the beginning and the end. And they do that. But with this movie, one thing that I would love to call out is the fact that even um, Georgie and Bill's relationship, as small of a scene as it was in the beginning when he's making him the SS Georgie, like that is such a more believable brother-brother relationship than what was presented in the 1990s version. The 1990s version is just really schlocky. And again, it kind of goes to talk about how bad the acting was, but like, when Georgie is taken, as cool as it was to see that kid eaten, it was also kind of sad because you're just like, wow, that sucks. He's probably going to feel like he's responsible. And he does. And he carries that weight like masterfully throughout the entire movie for a child actor. Yeah. I mean, I even like the fact that, you know, he was fake him being sick and everything and all the stuff because he had like the like worst kind of fake cough ever. And I thought it was people laughed. It was kind of funny, but you didn't want to go outside to play with your brother because you just didn't want to for some reason and the reason i mean now he's he's dead and like you said uh, abbott i think that's that's another way that you can believe these characters and i you know we'll pro- i'll probably get into this a little bit in their criticism i'm gonna i'm handed off to mocha in a moment but that's also something that i end up believing these characters a bit more because you know beth uh bev is going through some stuff that I mean, I can't ever relate to, but like you can definitely kind of believe at least more along the lines of what she's going through, what Bill's going through, um, what Mike is kind of sort of kind of going through of his parents literally got burned to death, like, and they're trying to like push out of the door and they can't do anything. I mean, that you know, those are some horrors that some of these kids have seen that you can't even like uh, like try to kind of comprehend. And I like the fact that they took their time of showing us and kind of spending time with those characters. Um, to set up why we should care about these people, ultimately. Mocha, what you got for me? What's some ones? A lot of the things that I uh, felt really positively toward for this movie were already touched on, but it, it still goes for, or it still benefits from reiterating, you know, we're in a renaissance of child actors right now. I can't remember a single period of time in my you know, however long I've been watching movies where child actors were just really good, like really, really good across the board. Um, and that was fully at play here in this movie. Every single one of the kids, not only in the Losers Club, but also the other groups of children, like that psychopath who had a police officer for a father and his friends and were bullies, um, they were all just like really convincing in their roles um, in ways that a lot of adult actors have problems with. So I was really impressed by that. And I'm, I, I hope that we continue to see that and that film casting, you know, casting execs don't just settle on children just because they're a child to put in the film and keep looking for these quality actors and actresses. Um, the visuals were really, really delightful. And the movie was thoroughly creepy. Like from start to finish, there was there were really maybe only two moments in the entire two plus hour uh, hours of this movie 
where you had a chance to relax and breathe. You know, like the moment where they're splashing around in the um, the quarry, and then maybe like another moment when they were in the town. But for the most part, there was something horrific happening every like every single scene, and each scary moment was creepy in a completely different way. And they did a lot of things that just reminded me of what it meant to be scared of things when I was a kid. Like you know, it started with little Georgie going into the cellar. I used to hate going into the basement when I was a kid, and the fact that he sees like the, the reflection on those light bulbs or whatever. And he like he imagines a monster being there. It just reminded me of what that was like. When, I um, still hate that. I still have to do that to do my laundry, <laughs> and I will run up the stairs tomorrow after I do my laundry. <laughs> oh my god, that feeling that after running up the stairs, something's gonna grab you any moment. Yep. <laughs> yeah. The worst um, thing is like if you go into your basement and you're the only one down there. If it's kind of dark, you're hearing your own breath, and that kind of just <laughs> freaks you out as well. That's unsettling. Yeah. The um, I can't remember the name of the child, the act character. Maybe it was Sam. It was the one who was the son of the rabbi. Um, Stan. 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 Stanley. When he goes into his father's study to put away the Torah or whatever it was, he walks by that creepy painting and he just like he stops and he just covers his face and then walks forward. And that's just like I don't know. I I just it just reminded me of being a kid and like you know you know you have to do something, which is as simple as crossing the room, and you're still trying to act tough in a way so you just like cover your eyes <laughs> but still it's like this childish just like almost almost nonsensical fear that just wells up inside you when you're young and have an imagination still um that just like they really they really affected well um also all of the things that scared the kids as you guys mentioned earlier they each had their own fears that were being preyed upon but it was really interesting seeing how some of those manifestations played out um i was really intrigued by beverly's character because with beverly's character when she has her really horrifying moment, it's that amazing scene in the bathroom where everything gets covered by blood. Um, the hair comes out of the uh, the sink and grabs her face and holds her down, and then blood starts pouring everywhere. And that was a really that was really subtle and deep in my opinion because if you look at what that character was afraid of or what we were told she was afraid of, she was afraid of her father because she was being molested. Mm. Um, she had she was in the midst of having her period, which is probably a strange and like scary thing for a young girl who doesn't have a mother uh, or a female figure in the, you know, in the scene to help her with that. Um, especially being a young girl who's being, you know, like physically abused and raped by her father. She's now like having her period, which means that she can get pregnant. So, and like that, in my opinion, was what was like signified when her hair, the hair that she cut off because it's what her father liked about her grabs her and holds her down in a like a way where she was restricted and can't move her body and then blood starts pouring everywhere all of that tied into the you know what we, was established with this relationship with her father and it was super dark if you look at it through that lens yeah and i just thought it executed really really well yeah I, I mean that was one of the things that i was like pretty pumped and uh, pretty excited about seeing like what how they execute in this movie and that right there i i remember uh I didn't get that from the 90, uh, 1990s version of it at all. And um, I really love your analysis of that part, uh, Mocha, is because that that really did... Like, it was already messed up that she was, like, really the only, gr- only girl. And it was still kind of creepy of uh, what was happening in, like, in that particular scene. It just, just wasn't right. And now he's even heightened it to that level of this is why you care about those characters. And... Um, that's why that you know those those boys all the boys kind of banded together wanted uh, wanted to accept her as one of their own like as not as a loser uh so that was a, that was a great point on that one but yeah you know not only were the 
the scenes themselves and the visuals really scary. There was some fantastic music, like music and sound design throughout it, which I'm sure Bluett can do a much better job of attesting to than I can. Um, but there was some, there was some, just some really good music throughout. Um, shout out to Georgie's mom for just chilling in the living room playing the creepiest music possible on a piano. <laughs> oh, that was so strange. That was so I weird. The fact that they that they That's transitioned funny. that into actually being the music in the in the room because it kind of changed the feeling of the scene in the moment. Like at, at first you thought you were just listening to a soundtrack, and then next thing you know you're seeing the mom playing the music, which sort of transports you as the viewer into that house and you're actually there with him which makes it a bit more intense because you know he's heading into danger but the way that they executed that scene though that was almost as if because i had people laugh in my audience and that was a comedic bit of the music that's going from something that's in the background to like now in the foreground if she's why are you playing that ominous music when it's terribly raining outside like that (laughs) like that sort of stuff there that people laughed in my theater and i'm sitting there i'm like is that what you meant to do because it's going to come off as being funny in a part where your kid gets his arm bit off. Like, that didn't match. Yeah. It is supposed to be funny that you get that sense that, like, everything is ominous and it really builds with your expectations. And then all of a sudden you get the shot of just the mom innocently playing probably some terrible etude that no one cares about on the piano on a cold, dark, dreamy day. Like, it could have been anything. It could have been more heavy-handed and been, like, Mozart's dearest Ares, you know, and like, I think that it really drives home the point that it's all about setup tension and release. In this case, the the release was seeing you, you get built up like, oh, here's this terrible music. Oh, my God, something's bad is going to happen. And then all of a sudden you have nothing. It's the mom playing. And then the kid walks outside and something terrible happens. You know, it, it, it really messes with that usual flow. Yeah. Um, and I think that a lot of times, like I know in the theater that we were at was like one of the two of the greatest horror film uh, experiences of my entire life. I saw Annabelle Creation like a week ago. And so that move, uh, whatever, like Caroline liked it more than I did, I think. But uh, it, it wasn't uh, that. These two. Throw me under the bus. <laughs> the best part of that movie was these two Asian ladies scream bloody murder. Like the loudest I've ever heard anyone scream in a movie theater. And it was the funniest thing I've ever heard in my entire life. And then when we were watching this movie, like people were just yelling at the. Like something scary would happen. And someone would just like, after everyone kind of like did the startled, uh, they just, you know, just like. Fuck that! Like, you know, they were just like this, just all by themselves, loud, and the whole theater just like erupted in laughter. So there's this weird binary that humans have that when confronted with this horrifying thing in front of them, their natural reaction is to scream bloody murder and then laugh about it once their brain finally catches up and realizes it's not real. And so for that fact, I think that it's perfectly acceptable. Like, what if what if the mom was playing The Entertainer? And you see Georgie and it's <laughs> raining outside and all of a sudden you hear da 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 ba da and then Georgie walks down the stairs, goes looking at the basement, he's like, oh, that's scary. There's no dramatic tension to that at all. The whole point is you build dramatic tension, release it. Build dramatic tension, you release it. In fact, I think in horror movies, there comes a moment in every horror movie when you are no longer scared. And it differs. You have that one moment where the, the good guys kind of figure it out and then at some point they start showing the the evil creature or the bad guy or 
the serial killer, whoever, in more of a light. They actually eliminate that person and he's out in the open or she's out in the open. Um, and then you as an audience, it kind of comes into like an action movie, you know, where like they have to execute their plan and go on. And there's movies that play around with that paradigm and that don't necessarily follow it. And those are some of my favorite films in this genre. But for the most part, that's the case. And so I think that that constant battle really it was exemplified in that scene of just like build up, release, laughter, build up, release, laughter. I mean, I can I can see that, and I can definitely understand like the the subtleties between like the comedic bits and like the horror bits. It was just some of these things just didn't work for me. Um, aside from you know from the music and the way they handled all of these creepy scenes, um, they also did a really good job of depicting kind of like the feel of pre iPhone summers. Um, you know, like Brian mentioned that too, but. This is back in the day when, like, when you didn't have school, and so what did you do? You just went outside and you either caused trouble or try or ran away from trouble. It was one or the other, and it just I kind of got that that feeling with them always riding their bikes and hanging out outside, and you know they made a point to mention that phrase like it's the summer you should be outside over and over, which was it's kind of funny because it shows it highlights the disconnect between the ineffectual parents mm-hmm. and the knowledge of just how dangerous like the outside world is for these kids during this movie and kind of like furthers furthers on that theme of how useless the parents are in Derry. Um, but it's, you know, but it's true. And I think they, it came off really well. Um, I just think it felt, it felt, it felt really fun. And, you know, and in some ways I feel like this movie was almost better as a coming of age story, uh, than it was even just a four movie that you could almost separate those two elements from one another and still have interesting movies on both ends. Um, I'm also really glad that they, left out some of Stephen King's weirder elements. Uh, again, I didn't finish the story, um, but I do recall that the there's a lot of talk, not just in this movie, but in a lot of Stephen King's movies, about like creation myths and about like more like the metaphysical, supernatural aspect. Um, we didn't get any sort of like talk whatsoever about the turtle that vomited up the world. <laughs> we didn't get any talk about, we didn't get any direct reference to the fact that Pennywise is this cosmic being called like the deadlights um, or one of the deadlights. Uh, we got like a nod to it when he hypnotizes Bev and she sees those like orange lights floating around. Yeah. And there's a turtle made out of Legos. That's yes. true. Yeah. And they talk about the turtle in the quarry. Like that was a nice little nod to it. But they didn't. They didn't go any further, which I'm totally fine with. I think they yeah. did a good job of cutting cutting the fat from his book. Yeah, no weird seances, no ritual chud, all that stuff <laughs> just cast aside. Yeah, and ultimately, all those things pulled together and had me really excited for part two. Yeah. Um, I was wondering whether, like, when they were going to get to the adults storyline in this movie, just like Brylin, and I was really thrilled to see. It chapter one come up after the credits had rolled um, because it clearly they're 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 approaching this adaptation with a lot of intent and a lot a lot of meaningful care and the fact that they separated things that way I don't think it was done as a cash grab I mean obviously anytime you make a sequel set yourself up for a sequel you're giving yourself another opportunity to generate revenue but I do think that they when they wrote the screenplay they literally they looked at it and said what's the best way we can tell the story we have to cut it into and hope for the best. Uh, um, and I'm glad that it had such a successful, such a record-breaking weekend, so that we can see that. Um, but yeah, all in all, I I thoroughly enjoyed it in the way that I usually don't enjoy horror movies. Um, yeah. Cool, Caroline, what you got? 
I have nothing else to say. Okay. I feel like everyone covered it all. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, I went into this movie hoping to be terrified, and I think like that first scene with uh, with Georgie's arm getting bitten off definitely met my expectations. I think that if I were a kid now watching that, that's a scene that would stick with me for a really long time and like traumatize me a little bit. Yeah. He just like, because he just looks so helpless and like, what a disturbing thing to see a seven year old's arm getting bitten off and scramble for his life. Like, yeah, that's, that would have scarred me as a kid now. Like, Honestly, like, E.T. definitely scarred me a little bit as a kid. <laughs> and and back to, like, Stan's, um, like, walking by the, the picture of the lady playing the flute and, like, covering his face. Definitely with E.T., like, the, the VHS out on display in my living room, I would definitely be like, don't look at that one. Okay, Latin King. Yeah, here we go. <laughs> Yeah, so as far as, like, traumatizing and scaredness goes, yeah, that movie got me. I definitely did a lot of my usual horror movie-watching mannerisms, which is, like, a lot of nervous laughing and, like, jaw-dropping, like, I cannot believe this is fucking happening right now! Um, so I was excited about that. Um, I think my favorite character... Uh, or, or maybe just actor was definitely Eddie. I know in the the miniseries, I I always thought he was really funny because he because of his like you know hypochondriac tendencies. I always thought he was just kind of funny. Like it was such like an old man way to like live your childhood. Mm-hmm. And and, and I, I think the actor that played him uh, was hilarious. Um, I did not think about Stranger Things when I saw this movie. I totally disassociated myself from that. I didn't. I. I don't think I even knew that the kid that played Mike in Stranger Things was in this. So sorry you guys had that experience, Richie. but the kids were hilarious, and I think that their comedy. Um, it was like pretty classic with their age and it, I don't think it was um, I don't think it, it took away from the tone of the movie I feel like those kind of matched up pretty well um, I know with the, the 1990s version I'm thinking of the, the actor that played um, the adult version of Richie in that movie mm. it, it was just like way too much cheese and and you kind of forgot like what what you were watching especially like when they're like all sitting down to like have a chinese buffet dinner as adults and it's like a happy montage scene it's like totally took away from what was going on but i felt like uh the comedy and like the yeah those classic 80s montage scenes that took place in um today's version fit pretty well that, with uh, 
That montage scene, that entire scene in the Chinese restaurant was terrible. It yeah, was yeah, right? awful. <laughs> this entire thing was just terrible. Ugh. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I went back to see it again today. <laughs> I think that was mostly to see if I could, like, catch anything from that, that I missed before. So I know that I, I, I did appreciate the, like, subtle hints to the the miniseries and, the, and um, things like, like dialogue. Some of it was pretty word for word. And I appreciate their, um, their kind of nod to the deadlights. I know they don't explain that at all in the, um, this movie, but people that are fans of the old definitely got that. Blue, what you got? Yeah, I mean, a couple things. Um, I thought, for one, I thought it captured the main feel pretty good. Like, everything was kind of open and you needed a bike. You couldn't just, like, walk any- everywhere. Um, as someone who's lived in New England my entire life, like that's kind of how it was growing up. Um, so, you know, the, it, visually, like our landscape wise, they, they really knocked that out of the park. I have no idea if they shot this on location or not, but it looks like they did. Um, one thing, you know, moving in a little bit, uh, it, I thought that they did a really good job having dated goofy effects. And that was a good thing. Like Pennywise dancing in his little cage looked awful. No other way to say it, it looked terrible, but it, it made, it fits so unbelievably well that it just absolutely worked. Or like the, uh, when the, the chunky kid is, is walking around looking for the eggs and the headless kid ch- starts chasing at, it looked Jason and the Argonauts level claymation stop motion bad, yeah. but it worked so perfectly well. And then with that little, Little cut to Pennywise uh, yelling at him right before he runs into the the librarian. It was like perfectly well done. I think that if the effects were like better and smoother, it would have taken away from the overall creepiness of it. Um, I think that was creepy. The what? The, how bad you think it was? To me, it was like that's what made it creepy. Was yeah, that, no, I, the, I, the I, I think I think. Yeah, I think if it was, like, better, it would have been worse. You know, it's did one of those, like, things. Yeah, did y'all notice, like, the librarian that hands him the book? In the background, while he's reading it, she's, like, standing and, like, has this weird-ass smile on her face and, like, hunching her shoulders over as he oh, reads. No. It looks so creepy. I librarian to do. <laughs> I did not notice nope. that. No, I didn't notice that. Um... I thought they did uh, so. A couple last things. Most of the stuff has already been touched on, or I've touched on it um, <laughs> in other people's things. Uh, I thought it was pretty nice. They did a fairly slow build to the villain. Like they had that one coming out scene in the um, in the sewer system, but for the most part, they kind of offered him uh, like Pennywise in the background until the end. You know, halfway through the movie, and I thought that was like fairly efficient in building fears. I know that's a pretty common horror trope, but not a lot of people do that right, and I thought they did in this one. Um, and then in like one last thing, I really like that they didn't really beat us over the head with anything. Like like other people talked before, I thought the comedy was pretty natural, and it sounded like seven kids hanging out in 1980s through current day America. Um I thought that they they didn't really like beat us over the head with hey fear is the central motive until kind of later on when the kids kind of discover that um, and then you're like oh yeah that is kind of what they 
what binds them all together and what binds them to this monster. Um, they, they really did a great job of just of not overdoing it. And for that matter, it made it feel more lifelike. Like life never comes at you straight ahead. Life never says like, this is the mean monster wearing the William Shatner mask. Please run away from him. Um, and so I think that like they did a really good job connecting with, with people as people. And like, ironically enough, fear was the main villain and fear was the thing that they were trying to convey. So it kind of makes it easier. Um, but it worked natural for me. Cool. Um, I'm not, I think everything of all my wins has been talked about. So I'm super pumped. I'm super glad about it. Um, I guess the one thing it was says that, uh, I think Caroline even brought this up of, I think Brylan said his favorite character is Ben. Uh, Caroline, your favorite character was... Eddie. Eddie. Um, mm-hmm. I think my favorite character was probably Pennywise in this actual show, uh, in this uh, movie itself, uh, because I just enjoyed how crazy and how weird. I really feel like they, they, I feel like the director really told, you know, Bill Skarsgård to just, just to do whatever. And it really had a lot of weird kind of creepy scenes and there's a lot of kind of creativity uh, ways to show, uh, much like Blue was talking about, like different points of like fear. Um, I just thoroughly just enjoyed just about how creative that it was. uh, And that was uh, pretty awesome. Um, So that's uh, that's kind of the only different thing that I would say of that's a win that I did enjoy. Um, So it's cool. So I'm excited to talk about our our criticisms because we talked a lot about wins. And I want to start with Mr. Our special guest, Abbott, of some things that didn't work for you um, because I'm sure that this movie was not perfect. Yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily say it's perfect. Um, Kind of uh, going off of some of the things uh, Blue was talking about, too, with the way certain scenes were shot. that goes back to more positives I have about this movie. I definitely have more positives than negatives, but um, there was no Stephen King cameo. I was waiting for him to pop up. That was unfortunate. I wish he could have popped up and like he could have been the creepy. He could have been the creepy pharmacist. That would have been great. Oh, that would um, be good. Although that guy did a really good job. He was the yes, guy by the band. He had the same glasses as Stephen King normally does in way back when. Yeah, he looked kind of Stephen King. He was like Stephen King's Also, I felt like there was this weird. Uh, hole left where uh, I do agree that the, the scars guard that did Pennywise did a good job but I still feel like you can't beat Tim Curry and in my mind as far as clowns go it's kind of this weird like Nicholson Ledger like Joker kind of he did it first he did it best but like there is a spot in my heart for the performance I just saw so as good as it was I still feel like Tim Curry's the man um, and then also uh Again, going back, I feel like it should have been an option to have it shot or seen in 3D. I would definitely go back and see it to see it in 3D. That would be amazing. Yeah. Um, and also, this movie should have come out next month. Honestly, come on. It's a month away from Spooktober. It's an October movie. Uh, I could have waited, but I'm glad I got to see it when I did. So, uh, it's not. again, most of my criticisms aren't harsh criticisms. They're just kind of like nitpicky little Andrew things. So, yeah. that's all I got. I thoroughly agree. I do actually do have a like that. I do agree with you, Abbott, that I think a lot of these jump scares they put in this movie should have been made for 3D. For sure. Especially that scene that we were talking about when they were in their garage and the weird um, 
uh, the uh, projector that was happening and Mike kicks it over and it's still going. Like, I think that entire sequence probably, like, that would have been phenomenal because he pops out of a literal screen. And I'm surprised that they didn't do this in um, 3D. Let's uh, toss it over to Caroline. Oh, my God. They should have taken that kid to the freaking ER. So, <laughs> like Eddie had it right. Have you had a staph infection? Well, you know where that kid's knife has been? Do you know where that rusty fence post has been? That was nuts. It, Eddie got taken to the ER because he had a broken arm. How about the kid that was bleeding out from the abdomen? Well, the, I mean, told in the late eighties, um, hospitals didn't exist. Yeah, like my what? mom would have been so what? pissed at me if I was just like, oh. It's, it's nothing. I guess the thing my that I would have never found out. I would have hurt myself and come back to to my house like three days later, all all stitched up and healed. No well, way! I was my, I just, no I way! I was bad. letting my mom see that. So oh, I look at my H. Here's my issue that I had with that. Like my issue that I had with that scene is he's being like, a tough guy. Yeah. Are we talking over each other? No, go ahead. sorry. You got it. Yeah, it was like he was being a tough guy. He's like, oh, no, it's fine, whatever. But, like, while it's, like, also gruesome for your body, very traumatizing as well. It's not good for your mental health. Well, uh, Someone uh, should have gotten help. I'm just surprised that they're the all freaking out when they're, like, the cutting on it. They can go beyond that. It yeah. was good. It's yeah. It's, it's just crazy that they were freaking out when, they, when they cut him by his knife. And everybody was like freaking out and like rushing and getting all those supplies. And you, they showed like they sh- put the, in the movie if they literally stole the supplies, they had to create a diversion to help him with this cut. And they want to make sure he's okay. Whereas he has this gash, he's like literally leaking out of his like his 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 uh his skin. That clearly that was a deeper wound than the actual cut itself. And then you had Richie who makes a joke about it. I'm like. Are we not doing anything about this? Like that's. He said he said he was leaking hamburger helper. <laughs> God, that's that stuff. Uh, there were so many good lines. Yeah. Uh, all right. So yeah, that. I don't know. That just says like a an adult to me. My adult perspective. Adult. But that it, it's freaking me out. That also plays into like a really major theme of this whole the the original book too, which is that the adults are useless. Yes, they're inacceptable. Good parents, uh, and the fact that this poor kid is has like some kids' initial carved into him, and no one actually notices. Like definitely plays into that. Yeah, but I'm yeah. saying like they could have easily patched him up like they did before. They could they could have been put in the same gauze and like put bandages on him instead of like literally just sit like standing in the middle of the street having a like an argument about it like that that doesn't make like it it frustrated me because they spent the time to establish this is what the character is and then they just did they weren't consistent with that throughout the entire movie maybe they shouldn't have stabbed him again i don't know it also made just made me feel like a wuss i was a little jealous because i got stitches like a year ago for the first time in my life and i was like a real big baby about it and this kid's getting like tortured and he's like no i'm fine so maybe i was just like a little salty about my reaction maybe so um (laughs) yes cool uh mike criticisms blood yeah a couple things i mean i think the biggest thing was um that 
for me, it was the big. It was the fact that they hadn't confirmed a sequel. Now, obviously, it made a whole boatload of money, and now they have confirmed. Um, but they they realistically opened a lot of plot holes that they didn't really even touch on. Like they kind of alluded to the horror, uh, or the excuse me, the origin that the horror of Pennywise was. But I would have loved to have like touched on a little more of that. Um, and then made, you know, part two, the comeback where you kind of know all the details. And then you think that the kids or then adults have a reason they know how to beat them. So think it'll be easy. And then they have a loophole there. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I just, I would have loved to have more history on the different characters. We got that in some cases. Um, I think that the character, the, the farmer, um, or the, you know, the, the one with the sheep, uh, I, they didn't connect him well enough. Like, he he kind of seemed like this random run-in character that you weirdly also spent a bunch of time with. Like, I almost wish that they didn't have a whole backstory, because in the end, like, I feel like the sheep-killing thing didn't really have anything to do with it, where he basically had, like, a motivational speech given to him by his grandfather that said, all right, well, you either you grab it by the balls or you, or you get your balls grabbed. Um... And so, and that really spurred on the whole rest of the movement where the kids were like, okay, well, we have to go do this because if not, it's going to come after us. But as a character, like, as a group of people, you know, they had the, they had two outsiders come in with uh, Bev and Mr. Chunky. I have no idea what any of these characters' names are, by the way. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's funny. Who's Mr. Chunky? <laughs> no, the Ben. Yeah, sure, fine. I'm gonna get that. Chunky. I'm gonna say Chunky. So, 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 redhead and Chunky, uh, like, are the two outsider characters that like got introduced and got incorporated into the group, and but they felt really natural, like. You know, they had a common bonding moment over bullying or, like, you know, they were kind of in the same class or something. But, like, they kind of really forced Farmer farmer Boy into, into the storyline. And I think that for a remarkably well-put-together uh, set of interactions, that one felt very weak. His name was Mike. Um, okay. <laughs> yeah, so again, I'm going to forget it in, like, three seconds. I know that we're supposed to be some sort of, you know expert on the movie that we're you know doing but apparently i, I suck um no just because I, your name is mike that's I, all. I kinda, can i say something about that real quick I, I feel like warren that's something that you didn't like about it and i agree and i think that it's it is like kind of a bummer that all these characters were so established and then mike kind of felt like an afterthought Whereas in the original, he was the one that, and I don't remember if we talked about this already, but he was the one that did all the research on the town of Derry. And then later as an adult, he's the one that sticks around and like finds out that like, you know, all of this is happening again. And like he calls the group back together. So it is, it was kind of a waste. See, that would have been much more sense if he as an independent person was the one to find out all of them and yeah. they had to like go seek him out rather than yeah. and, like and, and, Senior and Chunk he, he had his own he had his own arc and then he also yeah. had this, like the exactly. library arc and yeah. it was like 
No, just keep keep it to one thing. It was great the whole triangle of uh, romance they had going on there. Yeah. There was no need for him to also be the brainiac. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I like that yeah, assessment of it, uh, Blue. That's what I was going to bring up. So thanks for uh, talking about this, Caroline. Is it you know the only thing that we like we if you can talk about these characters, Bill? We know tons of stuff about Bill. We know tons of stuff about Bev. We know a lot of stuff about Eddie, and then it. It's a huge... And Ben, sorry. And then we know a bunch of stuff about Ben. And then it's just a huge drop-off because we don't know anything about Richie or his family or any of his backstory. And all we know is that, oh, hey, it's a time in the movie in which we have to get together. Oh, I'm afraid of clowns, too. (sighs) Okay, that's like, whatever, right? So we get that really kind of... They just threw that actually in there. We get like uh, Mike's backstory just from an exposition dump. But we don't really get like. I mean, your fi- your family burned into fire. That's that's a huge thing that happened in this town. But then why are you homeschooled still? Like that's kind of, like that doesn't make any sense, and we don't get any of that information. And then the only thing we get from Stanley is that he doesn't study uh, when he's trying to go <laughs> to his bar. Uh, like I think the first line that we see them walking through the actual school was talking about his uh, bar mitzvah and how he stopped studying and. You know, they could have easily bring it under, brought, it into, brought it up to the fact that, hey, that book is in your father's um, office. So you avoid your father's office because you're afraid of that painting. And so that's why you don't study because you don't want to go to your father's office. But they didn't give a shit about Stanley. They didn't give a shit about any of these other characters. They just talked about three or four people that they thought was going to be the most important. Uh, and I really hope they have they, they just even it out a bit more of this is this shouldn't just be one main character, uh, much like the 90s version was. It really focused a lot on just one or two people. It really needs to be more of an ensemble of talk about how everybody faces their fears and they figure out all this stuff kind of together and they're growing together. But it was definitely heavily favored just three or four characters. Uh, and it really it really bothered me because they rushed that and then near the end they just didn't really care so they they rushed that too just to talk about the character they have and then we still got a whole other arc of Bill and Georgie again even after that and hopefully we can see something happening with Bev cuz but then for some strange reason she's like hypnotized and she's basically taken out of this movie for some time and so I it, it just it just blew me away some of the choices that they made not to make it even uh, and to give everybody like their equal credit on, on the actual movie and it was kind of frustrating I was really kind of tired of seeing that um, Mocha um, yeah actually that's a great segue Warren because my biggest criticism with this film or most of my criticisms fall under one umbrella and that umbrella is that there were time constraints with this story. Stephen King is notorious for writing particularly dense, long novels. It is no exception. That book is pretty thick on its own. Um, And there just wasn't enough time in the film to flesh out more elements like the other kids, um, give us more reason to to care about about each of them, Uh, at least the ones that were focused on less. I also thought that the... They could have done a much better job of going into more detail about Derry's long history of tragedy. They touch, they make reference to a lot of the tragedies. Um, you know, we see the the, the grisly flipbook that um, that Ben goes through in the library. We get reference to the Black Spot massacre, um, but they don't really go into the detail of it. And that's one of the really scary things about the book. It is that Derry has had like has this town where 
these terrible events keep happening every two, two, like three decades or so, and everyone there who's an adult just wants to ignore it and keep going on with their lives to live like a, a continue living their quaint suburban New England life. Um, and I think that's important to just adding to the general horror element because it creates this sort of unassailable uh, villain. You know, it's not just that Pennywise is supernatural and terrorizing you right now. It's that ter- he's been doing it for centuries. So what are these little kids going to do about it? Um, you know, and, I, and unfortunately, there just wasn't enough time, right? This movie was, I don't know how long, it was over two hours, right? Yeah, 2.15. Um, yeah, 2 hours and 15 minutes. That's a lot already, especially for a horror movie that's relying on maintaining a high level of tension throughout it. So I get why they didn't go deeper into it, but I do think that it would have made things a bit better. Yeah, um, the big thing in the book with the adults is that they just, they forget what the, the memories are. Mm-hmm. Very similar to something eating their past. Hmm. Another yeah. Stephen King thing. So yeah, that's actually a, that is a significant part of the story. Is what happens when you start to for, when you start to forget things that you thought you'd never be able to forget, um, and which is why personally I think that the first movie should have been the one to really get into the audience members' heads. What are these horrible tragedies that have gone on? Because when the kids when, when we go back to chapter two later on, who knows what their memories are going to be like when they're adults. Um, and so I think, and I don't think they'll have the time to go into it for that second movie. So I wish they had done it, done it here. Um, with the kids too, you know, I feel like they strategically chose kids, chose kids to focus on more than others based on what they expect to come of those kids when we get to the second chapter. Mm-hmm. I won't go any further than that because mm-hmm. I'm sure there are plenty of people who have listened to this podcast who haven't read the book. Um, but I see why they made why they made some of the decisions that they did even though I still think that it should have been even across the board in terms of content. Um, yeah. And yeah, ultimately, like my final thing with this, with, with this is that while it was extremely creepy, every single scene had something kind of disturbing about it. I don't think that at any point I felt truly scared. There's a difference between a jump scare, there's a difference between being creeped out, and there's a difference between going home and just not being able to like get that thought out of your head of like, oh, that was messed up. Um, so I feel like... I feel like this movie wasn't really a horror movie. I mean, it definitely was a horror movie, but it didn't it didn't horrify me, um, which I wish could have been the case. But that may also have to do with the fact that I'm familiar with the content already and was prepared for it. So that one's a bit flimsy. But those more. But ultimately, my biggest criticism is that it needed more time to to build itself up. Now, uh, and you said for more time, are you saying that this should be a longer movie or they should bro- break break this movie up into three, possibly four sections? Um, I mean, in an ideal world, I'd love to see. Well, I don't even know if three movies would be would be would be, would be entertaining. I'd say longer. Give me a longer movie. Give me a movie that's two hours and twenty two minutes. I'll hold my pee and I'll make it through it and I'll be satisfied. <laughs> hold my pee. Cool. <laughs> uh, Brian, <laughs> Brian, what you got for criticisms? I did have some criticisms with this movie, like. Uh, just there was a, and I think Mocha put this in my mind. Just like be more mindful of what's going on, especially with like in the Defenders that Jessica Jones image you kept on showing oh, me. Yeah, I actually picked oh, yeah. up on some scenes in this movie. And it wasn't the, like the Pennywise special effects, but it was like Stan standing in a doorway looked very out of place in a couple of scenes, and it's just like 
maybe he wasn't available and they had to shoot him like in a green screen in his kitchen and then they just like <laughs> superimposed the background on it it looked really weird at some points and i was like did they just forget about these shots to actually get them developed as well as the other shots um the other thing is like i kind of wanted to see a lot of reduction in the cg for pennywise and, like just have Bill Skarsgård uh, do his thing because he was showing that uh, he has a physicality to kind of bring this menacing, uh, silly creepiness over, uh, especially like when he shot with the cattle prod, when his eyes go away from each other and come back, that's all him. He actually did that on his own. And it's not like I wanted to see Bill Skarsgård like kind of unfurl himself from a refrigerator. Uh, I don't know if that's humanly possible, but given a moments, yeah, given a moments where he could have actually kind of used more of his own physicality to actually make the character his own, I think would have been uh, really good. And then, even though I've read the book, I know how this story folds out. God damn it, Ben was so smooth in this movie, he should have gone with Bev at the end. And, God, I mean, come on, Bev, he wrote that nice poem for you, and he actually woke you up by kissing you, and, like, you got out of your catatonic state from his kiss. You kiss him back. Did you, and did you guys see her pamphlet on her piano of the Frog Prince? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Oh, nice. Like, I did it. That's an amazing detail. Nice. Yeah. yeah. And at the end, Bell, you just, I mean, Ben's sadly walking away from Bell and uh, Bill and Bev. And then Bill and Bev have their moment of kissiness at the end. I'm like, come on. Give my chunky brother, Ben, a chance at some love. That's all I'm with asking. you, Brylon. I'm with you. Yeah, man. I mean, that's they, some bullshit that yeah. Ben did nothing, or Bill did nothing to the, to the show or to the movie for Bev. And still wind up getting the girl just because he was, he was the quote unquote uh, traditionally classically attractive one of the group. I I think uh, Bev should have had a scene where she makes out with legless Betty Ripson. I love how your wing changes. By the way, thank you for that. I wanted to mention was that I think. Pennywise, it could actually have been more menacing if he had a couple of rules to him. I thought it was a little too convenient that Bev was, like, captured out of her apartment. And I think if you made Pennywise limited to that, he could only interact while connected to the sewers. Mm-hmm. You could have had a more interesting character that he's got to, yeah, he can cause fear whenever you're in your house or going down to your basement. But he can't really grab you until you're near that sewer, so he has to kind of bait you in type of thing. And I think that would have made more sense about how he's kind of gifting Henry the switchblade as well. I I really like that point. Um, I I think the way that I saw that scene is when she... Wait, first of all, did Bev kill her father? No, she just beat the shit out of him. No, no, he died though from his wounds. I mean, you saw blood coming it's out. It's not of his confirmed. Head. That doesn't, it could go either way. I, I wasn't, I wasn't sure. It's just a question. I'm not sure. It was I, definitely I, a blood. No, at the end of the movie, she has to go away to an orphanage. What are you talking about? No, so she, she goes to her, her aunt's house. She goes to her aunt's house. Excuse me. Yeah, because her father's dead. 
and like because he's molesting her. Well, I mean, it's not a good place for her. I don't. Again, I just thought it was weird, but she straight up hit him on the head with the top of the toilet. I'm like, that's. I I agree, Warren. I that sounds like a Friday night in my house. Is that an upper decker? Does that count as an upper decker? I thought the body count was. Three. Yeah, right? Eh, I mean, it's okay. I mean, I, I definitely wanted more deaths, but, you know, we'll get into that a little bit later. Um, but uh, I like that call-out, Brylin, because I felt like they had sort of established something at first, and then they kind of threw it away uh, partway through to give more scares. And, you know, why is he coming out of, like... I like the creepiness of, like, as Ben is looking through the books, right? And, like, he starts seeing these weird things. And I'm like, okay, that's... There's nothing to do about a sewer or anything like here just randomly popping up. And he did that before. Like, he would randomly pop up in certain areas. And I see that. Um, so the reason why he popped up in uh, Bev's bathroom is because she just knocked her father out. And she wasn't then alone at that point. And that's why he was able to kind of get her there. But, you know, there's a lot of things. And uh, I'm, I'll talk about my criticisms in a moment when you're done. But there's, a, there's some things that I felt like they tried to establish. And then slowly just threw away just for a sake of a plot or a movie and i was kind of uh kind of bummed about that yeah it kind of forced like going to the next scene yeah to that and i mean just to add on to that um putting bev in the damsel in distress type of scenario did she really need to be a damsel probably not she's already i think they could have still had the they still have enough motivation to go down into the sewers without one of them being in that dire strait yeah, why, why not kill her? Why keep her alive? And then if that's the well, case, are all the kids that are feeds, floating... He feeds up, on both fear and flesh. Yeah, but if all the kids yeah. floating up there, are they all still alive? Why are they not dead already? Like, no, they're dead. Yeah, they, yeah, they, yeah, they've been <laughs> oh, oh, they did. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, I mean, like, so I guess I'll get into a bit of my criticism. I'm not going to try to take you up too much time here, but uh, I, I think kind of going off of it... Uh, I was really trying to go in with like zero expectations because I know that the, the 90s movie, as cheesy as it was, I thought it was really good. So I really just want to see a succinct uh, kind of uh, storyline and from from what happening. Like we talked about Ben getting like clawed and how for some reason he was fine and he did that didn't phase him at all. But Eddie broke his arm in like six different places and they were freaking out about that um, sort of point. So that was weird. Uh, I think like one of my biggest things was, you know, they established the rule in the movie of we shouldn't be alone. We should not be alone. We should, you should not be alone. And they learned this part in the movie of you should not be alone. And they go to that house and they know they shouldn't be alone in this house. And the first thing that they do is split up and they are alone for themselves. And I'm like, we just... So, and the same thing with that from the house. They go into the sewer and they know, once again, they're not supposed to be alone. And the first thing that we see happens is Stan is going off of being alone and Bill running off for being alone. And I'm sitting here, like, I don't know, and I, I really want to kind of toss this to you, all everybody here, is it frustrated me because it felt like it was just a kind of comment. That's just like an 80s movies trope, but I thought they were getting away from that at least because they were at least learning some of his parameters and what they can necessarily do and it made me angry because it just felt like they were just being dumb characters and they were just being dumb for the sake of being dumb for jump scares and things that actually happen so, whereas so, well, other stuff that could have been more effective think, I didn't see them actually getting super split apart they were like three steps away and then 
uh, the house does its quantum displacement and like they're in cube three hypercube. <laughs> and and it's uh I mean I thought that was actually a really neat effect that uh it showed like kind of like how how uh scary Pennywise can be is that you could be right next to your buddy and if you just blink away one second gotcha. Well, I also yeah. I also thought it really exemplified that they they established a rule we can't be alone. And then they also established that his power to persuade people based on their fears was enough to defeat logical thinking. And so every single person was in that, that mind space that Warren's in where like, May man, don't go in there, don't go in there, don't go in there. But it really exemplified that like if you were in that circumstance, you would lose you. Because everyone everyone's done stuff in their life that they think like I would never do this. And then like a week, a week later, it, it's like, I don't remember grabbing my, my feet into Charlie Murphy's couch. Yeah. I remember grabbing my feet. Into Charlie. It's like, we all have those stories of like, I would never do this thing except for that one time that I did this thing. And it's the same thing with these kids where they all know, Hey, we have to stay together. We have to stay together. We have to stay together. Oh my God. It's like my little brother that just, uh, that I, you know, haven't seen. And, He's he's probably dead, but like I need to I need to have closure. I'm gonna run off on my own. It, we've all been there, played on a very basic human interaction. Well, I guess my thing. Yeah. Go, go ahead, Michael. Logo. Uh, just also, quick shout out to Mike. Um, my dude Mike understands the rules when it comes to horror films. White folk always want to split off, and then people die. <laughs> Minorities never want to split off, and, and he never does. He's always with the group in that movie until like they. He's the last one to go down the uh, the rope, and then he gets separated. But that dude never once says, "Oh, let me go down this doorway and just see what's over here." Nope, he sticks through it, and he makes it out alive. So big props to him. kids kids by their nature are dumb and curious and those are you know two things that kind of like i understand your your um your criticisms there warren but ultimately like they kind of serve their purpose and they're also in that age bracket like 12 13 where they're like oh yeah i'm not a kid anymore i'm an adult i should be able to do this on my own and even though they know that they've agreed we're all friends and our friendship is the magic that's going to beat this monster it's still just like well i'm going to be the one that's going to beat it or i'm going to be the one to figure it out and so dumb curious kids thinking they're adults i think that sort of explains away that like that weirdness, but I do see it as being kind of like a like a, a peeve as well. I mean, I guess my thing is to like, cause I always if I'm trying to give like these criticisms, and I got just one more too. Uh, if I'm trying to give these criticisms, then don't make it. They shouldn't solve the fact that you didn't need to be alone. They probably should res- like they probably should get to that conclusion the same time as hell. We figure that he preys on when when we're alone, so let's band together in the sewers, and that we know that he plays on our fears. So like, just don't have them solve the fact that hey, let's not be alone. To then give me two three scenes, which everybody ends up being separated and are alone. Uh, that that was kind of really really frustrated me because that's. We could we could just do without it. Like, don't have them learn that, and they still get like messed up and messed up. Because Pennywise should be like mainly in charge and in power. He's not going to lose to a bunch of kids, uh, right? So I I just think that was kind of weird uh, because it. And key example, right? Here's an example, and more along the lines against what Blue had talked about. They're going down, right? They're going down the sewer. At one point, they're uh, they're going down the actual well. 
and you got Eddie, Richie, and I think Bill are in like that tunnel, and then Mike is up top, but Stanley is standing in the actual sewer himself, not doing anything. And he's already by himself, and we don't know why. And it cuts to him, and that's when the thing starts attacking to him and bites on his face. So that has nothing to do with any action that causes him to go down there. He's literally just standing alone by himself, and we just established this, the scene before in the house. Uh, or, you know, two scenes before in the house. Uh, it, so there's nothing, there's no action with that, you know, sort of scene. I think it's kind of it's kind of weird. Uh but that's that's just one of the examples that happened so quick in that actual time. Um, let's let's talk about our uh, lasting thoughts and let's get into some grades and let's talk about what we think about overall 2017 version of it, Mister Abbott. Um, yeah, I was gonna give it uh, originally um, like a high B, but then uh, hearing everybody's kind of input and thinking things through. I think I'm going to give it like an A, not an A minus or an A plus, just a straight A. Um, and it's just because I went in there with zero expectations. Like, I didn't realize it was the same director that did Mama, and I love that movie too. And it does great things with kids, killing them, kind of. Um, and uh, and I think one of the things that Mike sort of talked about was there were scenes that were shot kind of weirdly, which were more successful for me because it actually goes back into these old school horror movie techniques where it did look like a, a Ray Harryhausen animated, like creepy walk or even like the headless kid or it kind of like walked all disjointed where it's like, Oh, he's not just a, a clown. Now he's moving like a puppet, which I don't know about you guys, but like puppets, especially marionettes are creepy as shit. So it just yeah. kind of like compounds those things with these little tiny like hints here and there. But then also there were so many Dutch tilt shots in that film that it was just like perfect because you're just like, oh, what's wrong with the camera? Because we don't see it that often anymore. And it was like used masterfully in this movie. So yeah, I'm giving it an A. Cool. Caroline, what'd you got? Um, I think, uh, I think I'm going to give it a B plus. I was, I think I was originally thinking A, like when I walked out of the theater, I was like, yep, that was an A+. Plus. Um, yeah, but I guess after talking things through, some things stood out to me, and I didn't totally love all of them. I think I, I, I loved uh, just like how nostalgic I felt watching it, um, and then was just really impressed about how it was more of like an improvement, I think, than mm-hmm. a remake. Uh, some plot holes, I guess, were a little uh, confusing, but overall, I'd say B plus. Right. I'm surprised. Yeah, I thought you were gonna stay strong with your A, like especially watching it twice. But I don't want you to. I don't, I don't want to deter your grades at all in any of these comments. But that's what it is. Cool. Yeah. Uh, let's toss it over to the sexy Mike. That's me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was kind of confused on that one. <laughs> um, yeah. I will be giving, similar to Caroline, this film a B plus. Uh, it was so much fun. Nonstop. The dialogue was great. The acting was great. Uh, um, the reminiscence of just like better days where things were simpler um, was great. Um, 
But and there were thoroughly creepy scenes um, that kept like a consistently high level of tension throughout, which I thought was impressive for a movie that was two hours and fifteen minutes. Um, but ultimately, I don't think it was truly scary. It was more of just a connection of creepy scenes that had a narrative built into it. Um, and ultimately, I think it was better as a coming of age movie than a straight up horror movie. Uh, I feel like this was more Stand by Me than it was. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. But yeah, overall B plus. Brian. Uh, I'm going to give it an A for Abbott. And... <laughs> uh, and I thought I thought it was a fantastic retelling of uh, the first part of this book. And um, it got me excited to see what comes next. So in 27 years, I can't wait to see the sequel. <laughs> <laughs> They're just going to play themselves in the future, age that'd be normally. Amazing. That'd oh, be amazing. Yeah. That'd be a hell of a long con. It's possible. It's like your contract is for 40 years. Deal with it. Uh, it. what you got for me? Yeah, I got a B. Uh, I thought there was a lot of things that were going right with this movie. Uh, I thought they blended horror and comedy pretty well. Uh, As it turns out, though, it wasn't particularly, like, amazing in either of them, um, which is knocking it off that, like, you know, one of those end-of-the-year movie lists. Uh, one thing that I would love to note is this is not the first Stephen King movie to come out in this era, like area of the year, um, and it really drives home what uh, a good cast with a good director and a good script will do with a movie compared yeah. to Dark Tower. Yeah. Dark Tower was like <laughs> horrid pieces of garbage, and uh. it really just underscored that if you put people in the right positions, they make a remarkably better movie. Yeah. Wouldn't it be cool though if there was like a just the same way that there's like a DC movie universe and a Marvel universe, there was a Stephen King movie universe where it's all interconnected? There well, is. I mean, that's, that's the way. That's, that's the whole thing with all of Stephen King's novels. Castle yeah. Rock yeah. is where it all takes place around. But like, if they actually started tying all these movies together, now that they're actually going to be good, apparently. It takes place in Castle well, Rock. We don't know that because literally yeah. the movie that came out a month and a half ago was hot garbage. Oh yeah, no, I'm just counting it. I'm just counting it. Okay. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. well yeah. spoilers for a 35 year old novel. Um, Stan. It's led to believe that he has the shine. Huh. That's why he's kind of really quiet and reserved. Huh. Yeah. Well, isn't that sort of, don't they sort of hint that doesn't Bev see the future, kind of? They, they all have the, the future because she saw, because she saw oh, the she deadlights. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It'd be interesting to build on, and I feel like that Stephen King's done a marvelous job from again what my what we started with these this review with what my buddies told me about this where he doesn't outright say it's like exactly the same universe but there's a lot of like similar characters that keep on coming up under the exact same name and a lot of the same like themes that come up in like mystical artifacts and crap um that yeah, like I think, Richie show up in 11 or something yeah like they could they could do a pretty gnarly good extended universe um, but they have to start making consistently good movies under the same director. Well, the big shame about that is that if you were going to go for an, a Stephen King uh, extended universe, the Dark Tower is the crux of that, that universe. That story is the most important, and it sets up the fact that you can travel between each of these dimensions or 
points in time or realities that make up his whole book series. So they started off and trashed that, which means that the linchpin is already the weakest part of this entire extended universe. The tower is falling. <laughs> I want to see a Langoliers reboot. I need I need the Langoliers. I was thinking the same thing. I remember that one the most when they're on the plane and stuff. That was another TV special. So that was we got Langoliers, yeah. Blue it is a that B. That one traumatized the shit out of me. <laughs> so blew it with a B. Um, I am also going to give this a B. Um, I like the movie. I was thoroughly enjoyed with it. Uh, I just felt that they... I mean, I guess it's also going to be depending on who they cast, but there is clearly a more focus on the more what they think more important characters are, uh, and I think that's going to continue to happen in the second part of this. Um, it was kind of a bummer, because uh, it, it, it was interesting to, to see how they did some of the characters in the 90s, and they changed it, and I'm interested to see... You know, I, I, I can understand why a new kid going to Derry would know all the history of the Derry, but I can't quite get why he'll know everything about Derry and nobody else. It, it, that's just kind of weird. Um, yeah, so I gave it a B. I thought it was good. I mean, I thought, like, the I, I really love the Pennywise character of it. Um, I really love this, some, like, some of those, like, graphics that they actually kind of use. I think it was really, really impactful, but I just think that they kind of, like, I think they literally thought they were running out of time. They just kind of cut a couple corners, and it kind of, uh, kind of bugged me a little bit. So yeah. And with that, we will say thank you so much, everybody, for hanging out with the Down to Front podcast with our special guests. As we are hitting a milestone, and everybody would love to raise your glass of whatever that you are drinking of hitting 5,000 downloads this year. So thank you very much for everybody listening in on us. Um, and with that, we will yes. sign off uh, and say, Abbott, where can we find more of your work? Uh, you can find some of my artwork on theabsman.com, and you can also go to uh, theabsman.tumblr.com uh, to look at some of my daily doodles. I haven't done in a while, but also if you want to see some Sleepy Kyle memes, I just posted those on the internet. They'll be floating around for a while, probably on Instagram. Hashtag Kowalski Couch Collection. <laughs> Love it. Uh, Caroline, what about you? My bathroom wall, otherwise pass. <laughs> I need some context. <laughs> Come on over, buddy. <laughs> she, she Where can we find you? On no, I think I showed you a picture wall. when we were at Clover. Yeah, you did, but I mean, for everybody listening, what are they going to think that you put on your bathroom wall? They just have to come over. Caroline, just kidding. General invitation for everybody listening. Entire audience, come on over. Uh, Mocha, where can we find more of your work? Yeah, you can find me uh, tweeting about all sorts of nonsense on Twitter at Mocha Mike Li, as the Lord intended. Um, I would love it to be at Mocha Mike, but unfortunately, the 92-year-old gentleman who has that username spends all of his time trying to lure little children into sewers and dark places, and none of it tweets. So unfortunately, I don't have it. But instead, until then, you can reach me at MochaMikeLI. Um, you can also follow me on Instagram, where I post a lot of my photography work. That's Instagram.com slash at MochaMike. And Mediums.com, where I post uh, some long-form reviews, as well as articles about just things that generally interest me. That's Medium.com slash at MochaMike. Cool. Blue it. What about you? Hey, guys. You can find me at My News Music or My News Band on most social media platforms. Check out our sweet EP. It is absolutely free. Uh, we don't have it connected to a PayPal, so you could not pay for it even if you wanted to. Um, <laughs> it's mediocre at best. 
Uh, also, you could check me out at Jesse Rand Dancing Clown at ymail.com. Uh, he, I, he's available for all your children's party needs. He will show up in a little smock with a little face paint and dance for your children. It's very sensual. So it's, weird. It's only sensual. It's age appropriate, but it is very sensual. <laughs> it's, it's age appropriate sensuality. <laughs> That's going to oh, yeah. be my new song. Uh, Brylon, what you got for me? Uh, you can find pics of this sweet new letter A. I got carved into my belly. Thank you, Mr. Rabbit. <laughs> uh, on Twitter, <laughs> at Brylon, B-R-I-L-U-N-B. Uh, you can also see me post like many movie reviews on Instagram at I am Bryland, and I am the host of the Gamescast. We try to meet up every Thursday at around 2 p.m. Eastern Time, and I actually stream some games and talk about them. Right now we're playing Life is Strange, and it's getting really dark and really twisted right now. It's a fun game. It's definitely, uh, I thoroughly enjoy uh, hanging out with you on that, so it's pretty cool. Thank you. Uh, and we are the Down in Front Podcast. You can find a lot of our work. We have an email. So our email account is downinfrontpodcast at gmail.com. We have a Twitter. That's at underscore DAFP. It stands for at underscore Down in Front Podcast. You see a bunch of our tweets, promotion materials, lots of stuff that we're going to be putting more and more content out. So definitely thank you for that. Uh, we have a Facebook also. So facebook.com slash Down in Front Podcast. We can see a bunch of our work. As much of the stuff that we post on Twitter, we try to do Facebook and Twitter a lot. Um, and then definitely for anything of our, uh, we have our YouTube videos and our teasers that we're going to be putting out as well. So check that out. We'll post a YouTube video link in our actual show notes and our, all of our history. You can see a bunch of the game casts and a lot of the other materials that we're trying to come up with. Also the actual future uh, events and the future movies that we're going to be talking about. Um, so definitely check us out and definitely subscribe to us on tw- uh, on our YouTube. Uh, and do we have Patreon? So patreon.com slash down front podcast. We're literally just as much as $1, Bob. Uh, we'll definitely be able to help us out for anything that we're necessarily doing of going and watching these movies, definitely getting together, getting the equipment together, and um, really kind of recording and just having a great time just kind of hanging out, sipping on some wine. So that's definitely going to be uh, uh, patreon.com slash down for a podcast. Uh, for any other reviews or any other questions, feel free to kind of find us on the Apple Podcast. We're on Stitcher. We're on the Google Play Store. Leave us reviews. Rate us on iTunes. That will be amazing. The more and more we can get more of our content out there, it'll be the better suited for us so we can keep doing this and having a lot of fun. So thanks so much for everybody hanging out with us tonight. Uh, Thanks so much for our review of It, and we will see you soon for a review next week of Mother. See you later. Bye. 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 B